This is the Samurai Who Talks podcast with me, the Samurai Who, talking to you. Before we get into the topic of this episode, I want to mention that these podcasts have been interesting. Last week I missed it, the deadline. I tried to get the schedule up, but things happen. Things happen. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to avoid that in the future, but we will see. Uh, These podcasts have been very informative for me. And uh, for me to learn how to better communicate. And to attempt to tell stories better and so without further ado there is my excuse and here we go into the episode so in this episode I wanted to um, write sort of love letter to uh, uh, Japanology specifically the show from NHK I've been enjoying for the last few years. Um, And uh, I wanted to write that letter or read that letter and also define and understand paradise. Because I enjoy Japanese culture. I think that um, the peak of my uh, interest uh, was definitely a couple years ago but I'm still quite a bit interested in understanding the culture Um, but at the end of the day I believe that people are people and uh, what you see is not what you get what you experience is not necessarily what's real uh, in all its entirety And your understanding will almost always be incomplete. That's where uh, Begin Japanology and uh, Japanology Plus and uh, Plus One. And uh, I believe it started as Weekend Japanology. But that show was my uh, gateway to... uh, learning about Japan because prior to that I only really understood Japanese culture from uh, American films and anime and manga but those don't really portray Japanese culture necessarily uh, in a grounded way Um, really it was only until I read manga like uh, Solonin that things became more grounded. Uh, But even then, that's fantastical. However, during my experience with Japanology, uh, it has created a sort of paradise, uh, this idea of paradise in Japan. Um... But that's not entirely true, but I, I believe that it is, to be fair, a uh, 
careful study. But if you take off a couple of layers, it looks to me like a uh, tourism advertisement. But if you peel back all those layers, you lose out on the core of what it is, which is a study of Japanese culture. And that's what the crew, all the crew, uh, have helped create. I don't know all the crew, but I, I want to thank all the crew for providing me with information that I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. Um, at least without living over there and being Japanese. I want to also thank uh, the hosts, uh, Peter Barakan and Matt Alt, for uh, guiding me along with many, many people around the world through the history and culture in Japan. Um, there were several episodes that I love. Of course, I love all the food episodes, all of them. <clears throat> oh, was it Woshoku? The the foreign food that were created. You know, even things that were fairly mundane, like seemingly soy sauce. You know, or uh, making sushi. They've created created such amazing experiences. It was very fun to uh, watch. I guess I'm a sucker for the How It's Made series uh, uh, of uh, sh shows and documentaries. So this was just right up my alley. It's learning about craftsmanship, um, small-scale manufacturing, unique ideas like uh, the Tokyo Underground and... The myriad of ways people learn to live. It fed my obsession with Japan, of course, that with the uh, aforementioned uh, anime and manga, but food, understanding settings and uh, techniques and philosophies and uh, history. You know, uh, learning about. Um, What's that guy? My my brains. Uh, Hokusai, I think. The guy who did the Great Wave and many, many other uh, designs. Learning about... Uh, made me look into the Book of Five Rings, which is awesome. Um, of course, uh, it's not meant to be taken literally I suppose but learning about ways people care uh, uh, make things really exceptional make things next level um, and I wanted to go into depth maybe uh, discussing the two hosts uh, I don't really know anyone else on the show unfortunately but um, I've seen some frequent uh, uh, guests, I suppose, especially for the food sections. But uh, Japanophiles is also a segment I enjoy, seeing people who 
uh, moved to Japan to embrace the culture. And uh, I think the most recent one I saw was the VTuber thing, but I didn't finish it. Um, the Japanophile one that I did finish was with a basketball player. I mean, a uh, coach. Basketball player who became a coach. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, a little bit about the presenters. Uh, Peter, uh, Peter Barrican is, a, of course, a presenter and a DJ. I definitely appreciate his mannerism and his presentation style. He gives a, a vibe of uh, gentleness and uh, sincerity. Uh, at times, it's very humorous to see him uh, react to various things in uh, Japanese culture that he himself has not experienced much. One of the more... Uh, Interesting ones was the, with made cafes, of course. Um, there's a whole world of... It, it's interesting hearing about him because he's been in Japan for... Sounds like most of his life at this point. Um, and... Even then, it's interesting to find out that he has so much to learn, so much to experience himself in Japan. There's, of course, uh, Matt Alt. Uh, I think he does only the Japan, the Japanology plus one segments, but he's a presenter, a writer, and a translator. I think he wrote, there, there's a book he wrote about pop cult Japanese pop culture. Uh, I haven't had the opportunity to read it yet, but it seems like a good book. Um, I appreciate his enthusiasm and energy. He it definitely contrasts. He definitely contrasts with uh, Peter a lot when it comes to those uh, two aspects. He's very engaged, and he, whereas uh, Peter is more resistant to doing certain activities, Matt just jumps in and he just, uh, in many ways, it's humorous and uh, uh, fun to see him do it. I'm sure there's a lot of work behind it, the scenes. Uh, maybe reshooting a couple of times. <laughs> uh, maybe a couple too many times. I, I've seen behind the scenes enough to know that there's a lot of work happening and at times it's just realizing you know where you need to be and uh, just getting there any way possible. Yeah, I definitely enjoy him being part of the process and having us be uh being not being there of course, uh being able to experience firsthand being a newbie right next to a master at times and they've really given me an idea of what Japan ideally is like. And I like to discuss that because it kind of constructs this um, idea that Japan is paradise. And now I've grown older 
and I've watched many films and documentaries and uh, seen a bit of the dark side of Japan. I've it's made me appreciate Japanology more. But I also wanted to discuss that dark side a little bit. And, <clears throat> well, yeah. And uh, I've watched films like Hanabi and, uh, what's another good one? Departures. That's a good one. I like that one. I like both of them. Oh, man. Uh, some of Akira's movies. Uh, Akira Kurosawa's movies, I should say. Uh, Ozu's movies. They paint Japan very differently. Uh, not paradise, necessarily. And uh, oftentimes I see YouTubers present Japan in a more um, pleasant light. Of course, there's reasons for that, but I found that it's then becomes uh, a tad insincere. Uh, but if you're going to a place, a world's apart, you might as well know some of the dangers. But again, you have to be going there for a good reason and sometimes you just want to see the good side. Because uh, Japan is not a perfect nation uh, in many ways. Uh, I want to say that Every paradise is either a facade, hiding skeletons, or simply unreachable. Because, as I've seen in crime dramas, documentaries, Japan is a very unique place. It has, at the same time, some of the most sophisticated technological advancements in the world. Some of the lowest crime rates in the world. And yet it has corruption and its criminal code and justice system is devastating. The idea of hostage justice is unfathomable to me. And yet I understand and recognize that it does exist in the United States. But in a way that is very different from Japan. I would recommend uh, several videos that I've found. Um, one by Rare Earth titled, Why Every Japanese Criminal is Guilty. Uh, the crew on Rare Earth provide us an image into 
this world that if you've only seen Akihabara or even then Akihabara has become inauthentic whatever that means it's become touristy less like itself and more of a shadow of itself and in this shadow lies this darkness that is the hostage justice system wherein there's not really a way for you to be free it is guilty until innocent in every way possible and the system set up in a way that you will confess not from uneducation but being destroyed and ground to dust even if you're innocent that's very difficult for me to imagine in addition Vice News also has a video called Japan's Hostage Problem which also discuss uh, this phenomenon in Japan I don't think that such a system is right and it seems backwards it makes me think that this Japanese utopia of sorts is uh, of a kind that is actually dystopian because basically they anyone they catch must be guilty and they use every tool in their arsenal to make that person guilty but any criminal that they cannot secure absolute um, certainty that that person's guilty they're let loose which is fair in a way because if we you can't prove beyond an un without uh beyond reasonable doubt that that person's guilty then they are not in the eyes of the law but the manner in which these systems are applied is uh in a way very hyper conservative but also conservative as in you know uh not the political conservative but the uh more in relation to risk very conservative in that manner trying to decrease risk as much as possible uh to save face and i understand what face is for uh, asian cultures it's a very peculiar system 
and it makes admitting faults very difficult if not impossible and but that's the way you that's the first step in uh, improving a system which is admitting that there is a problem if you're not able to do that to save face you're not able to improve the system and change it for the better and it's one way that I found that Japanese system this paradise that I've constructed from childhood isn't really isn't really perfect there's tons of red tape over there it sounds like as well and a lot of the systems are quite archaic for some reason there's also racism uh, there's racism over here as well, but it's a different kind. It's more ethnic, I'd say. Anyone who isn't Japanese is foreign and re and deemed less, it seems like. I mean, there are always those people of a younger generation who are more accepting, but aside of that, it seems like the moment they learn you know Japanese, they're embarrassed, but before then, they openly talk behind your back and insult you. It's very strange. But then again, that happens in America as well, but to a different extent. Japan isn't a paradise that is free of this. But I found that most people in the world are friendly. So maybe this is just a subset. And maybe a subset that has this nationalistic pride. I've got two quotes about this. <clears throat> Patriotism is when love of your own people comes first. Nationalism is when hate for people other than your own comes first. That's from uh, Charles de Gaulle. They're similar, patriotism, nationalism. But patriotism works on the basis of love and care and does not necessarily mean that you hate other people. It's the same with, I guess, one's family. You love your family more than you love like you would protect your kid with your whole being your whole life if it was necessary but if you had the choice between your kid and someone else's kid you choose your kid any other day any day I should say <laughs> any day but of course you don't hate that kid that isn't yours 
nationalism is when you hate that kid. Your hate defines you, not your love. And another quote is, the difference between patriotism and nationalism is that the patriot is proud of his country for what it does, and the nationalist is proud of his country no matter what it does. The first attitude creates a feeling of responsibility, but the second a feeling of blind arrogance that leads to war. Sidney J. Harris Why do I mention this patriotism versus nationalism? Is it because we're in a world that is polarized or... Well, of course we've always been in a world polarized. There are two poles, after all. But I mention this because the rise of nationalism is a rise of this feeling of arrogance, the feeling of being defined by your hate. And I've seen material about this nationalism from Japan. A land I thought that was free of it, that learned its lesson. And in many ways, Japan has. The people are resistant to war. But the people aren't in charge. At least not the young people not the people who want to preserve their nation to improve their nation to change their nation I recommend the video also by Rare Earth titled Is Japan the Perfect Nation? because when I look at it I see that Japan isn't a perfect nation and it has this regression right now to what it feels like prior to the Second World War. I am not Japanese despite the samurai who my whole name is defined by my interest in Japan but I've learned that Japan is not a perfect nation that its history is it is defined by blood from the Mongol invasions to the Warring States era, to the invasion of Korea, the failed one, I should say, to the Shogun era, to the Meiji Restoration, to the Russo-Japanese War, to the conquest of Korea, 
to the destruction of China. To the destruction of Southeast Asia. To the destruction of its people. Japan is not perfect. In many ways, when I learn things about Japan, there are not these not painted with, uh, I suppose it's rosy, rose-tinted glasses. It becomes less of a utopia and more of a dystopia of a different take. It looks more like Akira, the animated film. Because I I know it's a tough thing to swallow for a nation to apologize. For its sins. But at some point, what is the point of sticking with your guns? And you know what you did, it was wrong. I suppose there's no court higher than that of necessity. The court whose judges are not corrupted by money or greed, but of the balance of power on the global stage. Where criminals, dictators, and monsters are seated alongside democratic leaders, voted by the people to serve the people, to do good along the world stage. But at the end of the day, you realize that no country is perfect. No politician has their hands clean, truly, without either enduring absolute and total annihilation every single day without facing it, or falling victim to the much easier corruption that comes with power. That they taint their hands with blood of others. And we've seen that easily. Because good men do not last. For bad men always get their way. It only takes worse men. To clean it up. That's why there are war leaders and there are peace leaders. Because once those worst men take care of things, you realize 
that they have a choice to become good men once again. And in order to do that, to stand on the moral high ground, they will relieve their powers so that they can become men again. And of course, I'm not saying men because of the absence of women. No, I'm saying men as a shorthand for human. Because I believe women can do the same. They can be wonderful democratic leaders who have checks and balances, who serve the people. But I also know that women, just like men, can be corrupted and have been corrupted and can be as wretched and evil as men. I've seen the cases with Brazil, with South Korea, South Korea. behind the K-pop and uh, dance phenomenon, the groovy beats, we see a nation built from war controlled by dictators who use oppression and disappearances to get their way who are not leaders to serve the people but leaders to serve themselves in a way Japan and South Korea are very similar to this. Some people view them as paradises. If that's a word. But I've known about the history of South Korea for a while. But only recently did I hear about the Sewol. S-E-W-O-L. The Sewol fairy tragedy. Um outlined by Brick Immortor, so Brick as in B-R-I-C-K, I-M-M-O-R-T-A-R. They lay out a two-part series about this tragic, tragic ferry accident that was preventable, and it was a line of absolute corruption. Because... South Korea has oligarchs too. Japan has these mega conglomerates just as Korea does. The ends do not justify the means. The means... The means are people's lives. If it takes the destruction of so many lives for paradise to exist, should it? In addition, I understand the history of 
America as well is not clean for the Native Americans to uh, the relationships with Mexico and Central American nations as well as South American nations Southeast Asia and basically the rest of the world I recognize that the American detention of the Japanese Americans during the world, Second World War was unconstitutional to me at least I believe it was unconstitutional maybe they cheated and added some stuff but these people were as American as Americans can be and we as a nation sent them to concentration camps destroy their lives for what the spies and traitors were not Japanese most of them at least I don't think there's even a case of uh, there might have been a couple cases but most of them were Americans uh, European Americans so why a great video is by Vice News is uh, titled one of 120k sent to America's concentration camps there's a lot of blood there's a lot of dirty hands makes paradise difficult to experience but Japanology has also given me hope because paradise is lost but but all is not lost because I learned about the practice of kintsugi which is the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with lacquer dust dusted or mixed with powdered gold silver or platinum it's basically putting Humpty Dumpty back together again in a way that makes something beautiful I relate it to the idea of wabi-sabi I believe that's called the aesthetic and beauty of imperfect impermanent and incomplete which exists in every part of nature Japan knowledge brought me an understanding of these concepts with these I can see what paradise may be like and build a blueprint from which to build paradise it allowed me to start my journey to open my mind and understand what paradise is actually what paradise actually is and what to look for it made me realize the environment that I live in can be paradise itself in moments 
as best it can. It made me appreciate the details in the world around me. The things that are not thousands of miles away, but rather a couple feet, a couple miles. Within eyesight, within driving distance. The, from the trees to the neighborhoods, to the park benches, to the basketball hoops, to the walks down the street where the, dar- <laughs> where the dogs bark at me and give me a heart attack every time, to the smell of barbecue during the summer, the allergies <laughs> I get every spring. Paradise is what you make of it. But I do believe that even though having paradise is unreachable all the time, maybe impossible and ephemeral at best makes us appreciate the beauty of enjoying the fun, the goofy, the imperfect, with the understanding of the wrongs, lies, and tragedies without whom we would never truly be able to ground ourselves in reality with the dreams of building paradise one step at a, uh, one step at a time. So I appreciate Peter and Matt and all the crew who work, who have worked and are working on Japan, on Japanology. Man, I suck at pronouncing today. I appreciate you guys. Because you guys have made me appreciate life more. Even though I wanted to discuss the dark parts of Japan, I want to appreciate I want to highlight that you guys have brought me an understanding of life. You guys started me on my journey. With interests in small things like even stationery and mushrooms. And uh, I guess moss even. <laughs> incredible the way you guys portray even these seemingly mundane aspects it makes life worth living even if we only get to live our lives partially I mean, the rest of the time, I guess I'm sleeping, so. <clears throat> sleeping away half my life. Um, again, now we're to the section where I um, recommend my weekly recommendations, I say. So the artist I wanted to mention is uh, Dice. Richard, uh, 
D-A-I-S-U-K-E-R-I-C-H-A-R-D. Daisuke Richard. You can follow them on uh, Twitter and whatever other social media they have. Um, I like their art. Very clean designs. Very, um, I guess... Simple, clean, and expressive. I like I, I like the use of color, the poses, and the line work. Some of the characters are goofy. Some of the characters are a more uh, melancholic. But I enjoy it. I hope you do too. The musician I want to feature or recommend is Ame, spelled A-I-M-E-R, which I believe means to love. She has a track that I love listening to called Katao Moy K A T A O M O I. I don't know what it is in hiragana, katakana, or kanji, or whatever. Well, it would be hiragana, and uh, well, it would probably be in kanji. Not that I would know. <laughs> but I also wanted to tie it in because the the YouTube channel I want and recommend is uh, The First Take, and that's where I listen to her uh, Ame's uh, first take for this song, so I recommend it there, uh, in addition to wherever you want to watch it and whatever version you want to watch. First Take includes the first take from many uh, Japanese artists. Uh, interesting format. I enjoy it, and... Hope you check them out. They're already popular, so I I don't know if it's even needed for me to mention, but I'll mention it anyways. Because I just like talking about things I like. And in addition, I have a film or show or whatever material this week and that is uh, 13 assassins i <laughs> i think it's a good good film uh if you're if you like action films it's a good film if uh, you don't like fighting or action uh, uh uh there are plenty of other recommendations that uh listed in the past so feel free to look at those and uh, that's going to be it for this episode. Thanks for joining the podcast, guys. And have a wonderful morning, afternoon, evening, night, wherever you are, whenever you are. I'll see you next time, folks. Bye-bye. <laughs>